This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. Hey, and welcome back, everybody. Now, I'm very excited for today's episode because it has been in the works for quite a long time. For years, I've been thinking about how to connect with some of the other podcasters and content producers that I've admired and learned from. My initial motivation, after all, was to contribute something to this incredible body of work that was being built online and made available for free. These resources are behind my own professional growth and the success of many of the projects that I've been involved with. And eventually, I wanted to take the next step and work directly with other creative producers in hopes of growing beyond each of our own skill sets. Now, if anybody else is listening to this who is also involved in creating online content, you can probably relate to the fact that it can be quite lonely at times. Now, I feel really lucky that I get to speak with new and fascinating people all the time, but it's almost always over a Zoom call. And even after the episodes go live, I receive a lot of positive feedback, but often from people that I've never met as well. And yet one of the primary motivations for doing this work is to build community around the ideas and the skills that are presented on the show. And so for a long time, I was looking for a way to work more closely with others who are motivated by the same goals. And then about a year ago, I figured that I'd reach out to some of my heroes in the podcasting space to see if they'd be interested in creating a group to support one another and to continue to improve the quality of our shows while brainstorming ways to support others and especially newer creative producers in order to launch their own shows and channels, all with the vision of strengthening regenerative-focused media. Now, I was amazed at the enthusiastic replies from two of the podcast hosts that had been instrumental in the formation of my own show, and from there, the idea began to grow. Now, little by little, we overcame some big time differences, some conflicting schedules, and the nervousness of working with new people that we still didn't know super well. And gradually, our meetings became more frequent, and our little concept began to take shape and grow beyond my own initial vision. And today, I am proud to announce the launch of the Regenerative Media Alliance. That is Jill Cloutier from Sustainable World Radio, Scott Mann from the Permaculture Podcast, and myself. This episode is a celebration of the journey that brought us each to podcast production, but also to the friendship that has grown from the development of this alliance. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Jill and Scott from their own shows, let me give you a quick bio on each of them. Jill offers solution-oriented interviews with experts from around the globe, designers, environmentalists, farmers, and earth activists who learn from and work with nature on her show, Sustainable News Radio. With her guests, she explores wider questions about permaculture and sustainability, encouraging listeners to appreciate the land, water, and plants, and people that sustain their lives. When she's not working on producing Sustainable World Radio or working on her day job as the PR director of Explore Ecology, an environmental education and arts nonprofit, concocting herbal remedies, creating hydrosols with a funky homemade still, or dyeing clothes with natural plant dyes. Now over to Scott, who has a background in radio, broadcasting, and technology. Scott Mann started his podcast the same week that he graduated from his permaculture design course back in 2010. Originally started as a way to share what he learned about permaculture with the world, the show has since transformed to focus on interviews with world-renowned teachers and authors alongside regional experts and local specialists. Through this approach, he continues to push the edge of what it means to practice permaculture on the ground and beyond the landscape. When not sitting behind the mic or in front of a monitor editing a new episode, you can find Scott at a table surrounded by his friends playing games and rolling dice in a park somewhere with a camera or going on adventures with his family. Now in this episode, each of us will talk about how we came to work in environmental disciplines through permaculture, farming, radio production, and other entry points. We each discuss how our shows have evolved and what we've learned during this time, as well as the idea for the Regenerative Media Alliance and where it's headed. So be sure to stick around until the end where I'll be announcing some of the events and the resources we're preparing for regenerative media creators, as well as where you can go to sign up. Now I'll hand things over to Jill, Scott, and myself. Then Jill, how did you discover and get involved with permaculture? I was running a program at the juvenile hall in Santa Barbara called Kale Not Jail that my friend and I started. It was a horticultural therapy program for kids on probation. 
So my friend and I started this big organic garden there. And a lot of our colleagues and friends called it Hippie 101 because we were teaching them organic gardening and we were growing medicinal herbs. We were teaching them meditation and mediation and nonviolent communication skills. And so we'd have like all these kids and most of them were in gangs. We'd be sitting there under the tree, sipping herbal tea and talking about our feelings. It was great. It was really rewarding and wonderful, but the garden sucked. It was just terrible. Like nothing would grow except medicinal herbs. We'd have like corn growing that was, you know, there were cobs of corn on the corn. And then we'd come back the next day and it would all be eaten. So the wildlife was so happy because they just ate everything we grew. And so probably two years into the project, Wes Rowe, who's of Santa Barbara Permaculture Network, back then he hadn't started that yet. He showed up just out of the blue and he's like, I want to volunteer with you. And I'm like, oh, okay. How'd you hear? He goes, I don't even know how I heard about you. I just want to volunteer. So he very subtly and quietly turned it into a permaculture site, teaching me, my friend and I, the teachers there, right, as well as the students about permaculture. So that was really my first introduction to permaculture. And when Wes, you know, he lent me a few books and I remember reading the permaculture ethics and just thinking like, oh my gosh, like I found my people like earth care, people care for this is amazing. And then we had a food forest there and Wes was just like a magician. He'd get people to donate all these plants and the garden started working much better and, you know, integrating in the food forest, we had the different layers. So it was really my first introduction of permaculture through West volunteering at that sorry garden that ended up really thriving. It's still the wildlife got most of the stuff, but it was really a, a great way to be introduced to permaculture was through actually doing it. So that was how, and then I ended up taking many courses in it and that was it. Yeah. And I was hooked ever since that first um, introduction to it. And then Oliver, how did you come to all of this? Yeah, so permaculture was not something that I jumped into directly. I think you and I have talked about this before, but when I left school, I did so somewhat with the motivation that I wanted to provide the things that I most needed and create a rich life without having to work indirectly for it. And the most expensive thing that usually is in people's way from living how they want is having a house. And it's, it's very difficult to finance a home these days, kind of regardless of where you are. And so I first got into home building, building small homes for yourself, which very quickly went into using natural materials to build your own homes, things that you didn't have to buy that you could harvest from the land or that you could elaborate or produce from basic materials like wood or mud or stone. And as I started getting into natural building, which was really my first love and my first kind of specialty, I got asked to design homes for clients or other buildings. And as soon as you start to get into home design, you're creating lifestyles, you're creating living environments, whether it's the indoor environments, which very quickly you realize is affected and dependent on the health of the outdoor environment. And it's not just the immediate environment around, you have to kind of curate a space that creates a gradient between indoor and outdoor zones. And you can produce your own food, you can transform your waste into useful products and as soon as you start looking as, at a holistic living environment, I very quickly started to find the permaculture community. And you know, there's a small amount of the built environment and ethics and design principles around that, but it's much more focused on garden spaces and natural environments. And between the design principles and especially the patterns that they teach, I could see the overlap in what I had learned about building design and how it flowed seamlessly into creating entire regenerative living systems. And my design and building work for homes started to go into permaculture design for gardens and started to move into restoration of damaged ecosystems with those same principles. And I worked for a while with a, a nonprofit out of the Netherlands called Ecosystem Restoration Camps. Maybe people know John D. Liu and some of his work. And I helped to coordinate with restoration designs with people all over the world, but started to become a little bit disillusioned with what was usually a nonprofit organization that was meant to support these restoration efforts. And from there, I got into regenerative agriculture because that seemed like the most direct way to raise the money and create 
a financial incentive to do restoration work without having to ask for money or constantly take your time away from working on the site and looking for funding or other ways to justify what is very meaningful work. And so now most of my efforts go into some sort of productive permaculture related restoration or regeneration. They're all kind of the same concepts. It's just different design frameworks that you may be tapping into in order to steward the land as effectively and as wisely as possible. So it's been, permaculture has been somewhat in the middle of all of this. I came into it from different angles and now I've I wouldn't say graduated beyond it, but I've been looking at a lot of other design concepts and principles from all over the world that I've just sort of picked up through my travels. That's been my permaculture journey for me. And what about you, Scott? Now you go quite a ways back with this. How did you first learn about permaculture and make it such a large part of your life? I first discovered permaculture in the 1990s when I was working at a U.S. military facility. I was an intern for the U.S. Coast Guard doing IT work because I was studying computer science in the 90s. And so I know at this point it doesn't have the same resonance as it did at the time, but you know there was this issue known as Y2K because for a long time, computers only stored dates with a two-digit year. And when we were going to roll over into the year 2000, it was difficult at that time for computers to know, well, is it 1900 or the year 2000? And as the government was preparing for that, I had some friends at the time who we would do a lot of hiking together and disaster preparedness and things like that. Many of my friends were hunters. We liked to go and shoot recreationally. And, and so we were looking for a community response to disaster preparedness. This also happened to be at a time when the militia movement was very big, having a resurgence. And so when my friends and I were looking for organizations and groups to be a part of, we were seeing a lot of that kind of outlet, but it didn't agree with the space that we came from. Because even though there were hunters in the group, and as I say, we were recreational shooters, most of us were also radically nonviolent or pacifists. And pulling from that, we just didn't see that movement as a, as a good fit for our politics and where we came from. So I started looking for these community responses, and that's when I found permaculture. And then, of course, Y2K was not as big of an issue as we thought it would be. And so some of those concerns kind of died away. My friends and I continued to hunt and hike and spend time together, but the impetus for that just kind of faded. But I still had that desire to learn more about permaculture in the back of my head. And so every couple of years, I would look up permaculture and see what was going on. But I always seemed to have either the time or the resources to take a permaculture design course, but not both. Early career and having work and all those things. And then eventually, I found a local permaculture design course where I was able to go on weekends and study with some folks who were close by. It was reasonably priced. And that kind of started my permaculture journey. And that's where I became a podcaster because I wanted to be able to share what it was that I had learned. At the time, the concept of take one, teach one was really big. And that the outlets for permaculture professionals was to either teach or become a professional designer. I looked at starting my own professional design business, and it just wasn't the right fit. So as I have done throughout my life, I went back and looked at my skill set and decided, what have I done? What do I know that would be useful? Podcasting had been around for a couple of years at that time. I had a background in radio. I had been a, a radio DJ and a music DJ off and on for a number of years. My background in computer science, I knew technology. So I just grabbed a laptop that I had and a cheap USB headset, some free software. I was running Linux at the time, for those of you who are in that realm, and just pulled it all together and launched the show. At the time, it was the only podcast that was dealing specifically with permaculture. And so now I'm 12 years into this. As far as I know, it is the longest running, largest podcast dedicated explicitly to permaculture. I love it. I love broadcasting. I love being able to teach people. And so this is the space that I've remained in throughout this. And so that's how I came to permaculture 
and podcasting. Jill, how did you get involved in deciding to share what it is that you know and love and all these stories for so many years? Well, for me, I similar background to you with the community radio. I had a job, I think in 2002, as a health educator for a nonprofit. All the other educators were, when I first got hired, were like, this job is so fun. You're going to love it, except for the radio show. It was like, what radio show? And they were like, oh, you have to host this radio show called Speaking of Sex. And it was the sex show on the local community radio station. <laughs> so, and I was like, oh my God, like, I'm kind of a, I can be kind of a ham, but it's speaking of sex for an hour. But anyway, so my first show and I was prepared, they told me you have to do all the technical parts. So it's kind of scary, but I was trained and my first show, I was all excited. And I thought I had an hour's worth of material. And I get into the station and I'm reading my little essay. It was the history of birth control, I think was my first show. And it was six o'clock. The show started. And at 615, I was just like done. So I'm like, oh, what am I going to do for 45 freaking minutes? <laughs> so I ended up taking long musical breaks and calling every friend I knew to call in with questions. And that was my first experience in radio, which was so fun. And from then on, I was volunteering to do the show. I just was hooked on producing radio and producing shows. And then a couple years later, after discovering permaculture, I was on the phone with a good friend who was also a permaculturist. And we were talking about plants and permaculture. And Kevin, my partner, just chimed in from the other room and said, oh, my God, why don't you just start a radio show? Because all you do is talk about permaculture and plants. And I was like, wow, that is a great idea. Because by then I had stopped working for that nonprofit and no longer did the speaking of sex show. And so I approached the radio station. They said, yes, come on in. It, that was, I think, 2004. And as I continued producing these shows, back then it was weekly and it was on ecology, permaculture, anything having to do with nature. And at that point, my guests, like I was getting these in Paul Stamets, I was interviewing like, all sorts of people, pretty amazing, amazing guests. And I wanted to spread their message further than just our local community. And so I Googled, like, how do you get your radio show like out into the world more? And I discovered the word podcast. So in 2004, I just Googled how to get your show on iTunes. I didn't know what I was doing. I just, but I was kind of clueless, but I was giddy because I was so excited about how amazing my guests were wanted to spread the word about solutions, uploaded my show to iTunes. And then that was how I started. I didn't know what I was doing. And I just still remember I was in new and noteworthy. And I may have told you this, Oliver, but I was in new and noteworthy. And it was like all these great logos, the little icon pictures for the shows. And there were like logos and show names. And then this picture of a tree. And that was my show. Like I was so clueless. <laughs> I didn't even know like you need to have your name on the thing. You need to have your logo. But I was just so thrilled to be able to spread the word about permaculture. And I've been on there. I've been kind of a reluctant podcaster because I've always worked full time. And so I post when I can and, but I've loved it. And I still get so excited when I have, you know, guests on and, and just thinking about the thing I love about podcasting is your shows can play all over the world. And I've had people contact me, and I'm sure both of you have too, from all over the planet that have heard your show and it has impacted their life. So I think podcasting is just amazing. And I think it's an excellent way to spread solutions. And I've always just been, I wanted to be a voice for nature is really why I started podcasting. And just to talk about like, what can we do? What is in our power to do to make a positive difference? So that's kind of my story. And then Oliver, you've been podcasting for a number of years as well. How did you get into this? Yeah, we're just wrapping up on five years. But honestly, the origin story is really thanks to the two of you and a couple of other podcasters that I started to listen to probably around the years between 2011 through 2015 is really when I started to learn about permaculture properly and natural building. And this was really like the free education that I couldn't find in, in other institutions. And some of the main sources of education that I was getting while I was on my apprenticeship for natural building. And I remember specifically that I was co-teaching a 
a workshop in Senegal. We were building a Cobb house and I was talking with the students about some of these great episodes that I was listening to. I'm sure a couple of them were from both of you. And we had this great student, this, uh, this very <laughs> petite girl with big head of, of blonde dreadlocks, I remember from Austria. And in the middle of me talking, she just piped up and she said, Oliver, your voice sounds like a podcast. <laughs> and I was like, wait, maybe. And it was the first time it occurred to me that maybe I should contribute something to this space as well. And then it took me a couple of years before I did anything about it. I went on to an internship with a bamboo builder named Charlie Rendell in Lake Atitlan in Guatemala. And while I was learning and constantly gathering different sources of information for free online, it occurred to me that, you know, it's not that difficult to get started. I had a laptop, I could get a small microphone, and for a small monthly fee, I could get a hosting connection and just did a little bit of research and decided to go for it. I think I recorded some six episodes before publishing the first one. So I had a little bit of momentum and that's how this started. I have always felt motivated to contribute something to this kind of informal space of people putting their information and their knowledge out for free to people because, I mean, there's just so much potential in it. And it was such a big influence in my own growth and knowledge at this stage of my life that I wanted to give something back. And I also really wanted to have conversations with all these people from these episodes, but felt extremely insecure about contacting them and saying, hey, my name's Oliver. Will you spend an hour and answer my questions? But I figured if I had a podcast, <laughs> they would say yes. And that's exactly what happened. At least back then, it was a lot easier because I'm sure they weren't getting like five proposals a week to be on some random show. And so I was just amazed at the, at the success rate I had from reaching out to people who are happy to share their information and answer my questions. And honestly, I just started by scratching my own itch and asking the questions that were relevant to what I was trying to discover and learn more about at the time. Back then, I was starting to develop the first homestead that I was a co-owner of with some colleagues of mine in the mountains of Guatemala. And there was tons of gaps in my information that I needed to fill in. And honestly, I just kind of kept doing it and set myself a goal of putting out an episode every Friday. And five years later, here we are. Now, Scott, you already talked about a little bit how you got into podcasting. And it was, it was a pretty seamless transition as you were learning about permaculture. What made you stick with it for 12 years? What has been something that has kept you motivated and interested in this for so long? Well, it's funny, Oliver, the next question that I had written down for our conversation today was about why do you produce your specific show? And what you touched on about wanting to have these conversations with people is a large reason why I started the Permaculture Podcast in the beginning was to kind of write my own education. That... In the beginning, it was about putting scripts together and sharing information. It was short format to work through the content of the permaculture design course and get it out to folks. And then I took a little bit of a break to get my stepdaughter at the time through her senior year of high school. If there are any band families listening right now, marching band, then you know what it's like to get children to and from summer practices and weekly practices and games and everything else. And so I took a little bit of time off the show. And at the time, the Permaculture Podcast had like 300 subscribers or so, getting some good regular downloads, and it was enjoyable. But when I took that break, I came back and asked myself whether or not I wanted to continue doing this. And I wasn't sure at the time, because it had been a number of months, who possibly could still be listening. And I had four times as many subscribers and listeners after taking a break than I did when I was still producing all the time. And seeing that growth in those numbers said, hey, maybe there is some interest in this, that it's worth continuing to podcast. And then that was when I changed format from writing my episodes. I'd done a couple of interviews beforehand, but when I really changed my format, because I really wanted to learn a lot more about the world that was out there. That's when I started to develop relationships with publishers and other folks to connect with their authors and reach out to people. And yeah, at that time, podcasting, people are just like, what is this? You want me to do what? What radio station is this? I'm like, no, 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 this is an internet broadcast. There are broadcasts on the internet. People will listen to us live. No, 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 we'll record and I'll produce. 
And so there was a lot of explaining in the beginning. And once we kind of got through the hurdle and podcasts were becoming more prominent, people were like, yeah, perfect. I'll be on your show. And then I went back to graduate school to learn more and to deepen my personal understanding. And because that education opened a lot of doors and that made a huge difference. I started being able to have different scientists on and have those conversations, which was amazing. And it was around that time when I realized that I wasn't writing my own education anymore, but I wanted to have on voices that we were less likely to hear in the permaculture community. Yes, as a podcaster, there are certain names who are popular at any given time, or there are books that are coming out that people really love that you ideally should have on a show because of just the business of podcasting. But knowing that there were all of these amazing people who would never write a book because that's not what they do, or because they're doing something permaculture adjacent, they may not have the same opportunities. And that's when I really started to expand the show. But it was also around that same time that I'd spoken with a number of people who I had thought of as mentors who were talking about how, you know, you learn permaculture in the landscape, but there's so much more than that. Look at chapter 14 of Bill Mollison's designer's manual and everything they didn't get to. I believe it was around that time that I had my first conversation with David Holmgren, and he had said about how he and Bill had thought that permaculture would be a series of permacultures, not this one kind of monolith, but rather an umbrella. And it was through ongoing conversations that I continued to realize how much there was in the permaculture community to share. And so that's when I started going in different directions. It was around that time that I also reconnected with the faith that I had been raised with, which is also a big part of my permaculture story, because my focus on community and people and earth care comes from growing up in a historic peace church. And that's where my views of nonviolence and pacifism come from. I come from a family that on my mother's side that was very large. She had 11 brothers and sisters. I was one of 18 cousins. And we would get together for summer cookouts. And there'd be 100 or more people in my grandmother's backyard cooking, playing music, drinking, a whole bunch of Appalachian Hill folks telling stories. And they were the kind of people who grew up with so little. In my, an interview that I recorded with my grandmother before she passed away, I asked her why she taught us to be the people who we were. And because everyone was invited to her table. It didn't matter what your background was, what your ethnicity or race was, what your sexuality or gender was. She always wanted to make sure that people had a place and were cared for and fed. And she was like, we were too poor to care. That was her experience growing up with the crushing poverty of Appalachia. And that's what my mother and her siblings experienced. And it was never wanting anyone else to go through what they did or to be hungry. And that's where like all of this came together for me in this really radical way being raised brethren. I don't know if folks are familiar with that, but if you've heard of the Amish or the Mennonites, the brethren are one of the Anabaptist traditions related to that. That's where I come from. And in reconnecting with that and remembering those lessons, how do we make sure that everyone can eat? How do we make sure people are fed, clothed, cared for, and really dove into permaculture as people care? And that's why the tagline of the show is to take care of earth, ourselves, and each other. And that's what's continued to fuel me over all these years is because, Jill, what you spoke to, I've heard from listeners all over the world, from Ethiopia to Japan to everywhere in between. I've not heard from anyone from Antarctica, but if there are any scientists who listen from there, any of the stations, please let me know because that would be awesome. It's knowing the impact that I have as a podcaster and the hundreds of people who have contacted me and said, you know, what you've done made a difference for me. Putting that out there, Jill, you've been in this a long time as well. What keeps you going as a podcaster? And why do you produce your show? Like I said, I think earlier, I just have started the show because I wanted to be that voice for nature and solutions because I felt like there was so much bad news, especially as an environmentalist for so long. You know how you go to those documentaries and you walk out just feeling, ah, it's overwhelming. We can't do anything. 
And so the more that I started delving into permaculture and ecology, it was like, wow, we can do some things. We might not be able to tackle the whole issue, but we can do things in our lives that will add up and make a difference. So that was the main reason just to spread those solutions was why I started the show. And I have taken breaks too. I've been in the middle of one the past year, kind of. I took a break to produce and make a film about soil and carbon sequestration. I think in 2011, I was kind of not podcasting much at all and just put my energy into that film to kind of spread that solution. Cause I had interviewed Darren Doherty on my podcast and he was talking back then about key line design and sucking that carbon and getting it back into the ground instead of the atmosphere. So that was really exciting. And that was like, I just want to spread this even more than podcasting will and get it, you know, spread that message through film. So that was a break that I took with my podcast. But I think what, what's keeping me going is just wanting to be a force for good on the planet. And the guests that I am lucky enough to have on my podcast, it is an honor to spread their message. And when I was a little girl, one of my favorite things to do was to make shows and I'd interview like myself, I'd interview my family. And then I, when I was out of them, I'd interview celebrities and then I'd move on to inanimate objects in our house and the plants in our yard. So I was kind of like one of my best interviews of all time when I was seven was the chair in our living room. And what was it like to be of service to all <laughs> the people in our house? And so I've always wanted to interview and just love that aspect of interviewing people or things and the creative part of it and the connection and the curiosity. And I think Oliver, we talked a lot about this and the time that we did that interview. It's I think being curious is really important as a podcaster. And that I guess really why I produce my show, I'm obsessed with plants is one big reason. I was obsessed with permaculture. Now I think it's more just earth, plants, nature, animals. I want to speak up for those who don't speak our language and really educate about this beautiful, amazing world that we live in. And to highlight some of these things that people don't talk about, the plants that we share the planet with, just to do a show on a certain plant has just been so much fun for me to delve into that. And Oliver, you got into some of this with your response about why you became a podcaster, but why do you produce your specific show? I know that you've changed directions and format over the time. So why don't you share a little bit about the show that you're currently creating and why you've chosen to go in this direction? Yeah, that's a good question because my show has taken some turns, especially recently. So in the last year, I changed the name from what it used to be, which was the Abundant Edge podcast to the Regenerative Skills podcast. Because A, you kind of have to be a little bit of a nerd like myself to get the Abundant Edge reference. It's a reference to a concept in biology about you know, two ecosystems coming together and there being more abundant life in the edge space, which, you know, is, is understood by people who are into this. But if you just see the title, it doesn't necessarily make sense. And I felt like regenerative skills was very much on the nose of what I was trying to produce and what I was trying to put out into the world. And that has also been a big motivator and a big driver for me to continue to evolve this show and to improve my own skills. But honestly, all of this started when I had a very short-lived blog while I was an apprentice in a natural building company. And I realized that just having the mentality of going about your life, looking to document the important parts, the learnings, and to speak to other people or conduct interviews was a mindset that, that really made me feel good. It sparked my curiosity. It made me look for poignant and memorable aspects of what I was doing day to day. and to make note of them and to communicate them in a way that was a little bit more curated. It pushed my thoughts beyond, you know, kind of how we just kind of glide through our thinking most days. And that was something that I was able to translate into the podcast and think about the questions that I was asking to go beyond just yes or no answers and to probe beyond perhaps even what the person who I was speaking to was used to giving as a response and see if you could go a little bit deeper or get them to think about something that perhaps they'd spoken about many times before in a new way or from a new perspective. And I've just always really gotten a kick out of that challenge. And then going back to what I had said earlier about this 
motivation to give something back to the incredible community online of people who are giving their time and their expertise to educate other people for free and give access to information that can really change someone's experience. And then as I've been changing a little bit of the format and the objective in the transformation of the last year, and now thinking ahead to this next year as well, how can I bring about access to information that's really practical? The skills aspect of, of regeneration, because there's tons of concepts out there. There's a ton of knowledge. In fact, we're drowning in it. We're, we're at a point where there is more of an issue for an over access of information than some sort of a, a curated or a specific way that gives you an amount of empowerment rather than paralyze you for all of the options that you could choose from. I've been finding this with my clients who often come to me after watching a trillion YouTube videos and being confused about what to actually apply. And sometimes you need a little bit of a guidance to like, okay, there's so much that you could learn about soil science, but how do you make your garden more fertile? It doesn't necessarily translate into something that you can do on the land. And I'm hoping that increasingly my, my show can be that direct and approachable and applicable information that people don't have to wade through volumes of information to try and get to what they can use. But after half an hour to an hour of someone explaining it with well curated questions that get to those things that they can do in real life, that it's more empowering than it is paralyzing. And that is a challenge that keeps me excited because there's so much that you can do with this format of podcasting, especially as it moves into the possibility of creating video podcasts, of which I've done a few. And I'm creating more tutorials and my Patreon subscribers get access to note packets so that they don't have to go back and re-listen to the entire episode. They can read off of a note packet that breaks down the core information and gives directions on how to apply it. And so I'm always looking at ways of making this information as useful as possible rather than something that you just listen and maybe not do anything with, of which goodness knows there's plenty of that online. And what about yourself? So you've been mostly focused on the long format of interviews, which have been fantastic for getting deep into the information that someone might hold. But you and I have had conversations too of where you want to evolve this into and the resources that you want to add on top of the interviews. Can you talk a bit about that? I wish I could remember in the moment, and this is always how it is, 10 or 12 hours from now, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and remember who it was that said this to me. But there have been several folks who have referred to me in different ways as kind of a curator or the permaculture librarian. Having run the show as long as I have, all the books that I've encountered, all the guests who have been on the show, and it's for every person who I've featured, there are 10 people who I haven't had the opportunity to have on the podcast for whatever reason. And so I used to joke that I could release a new episode every day and it would take three or four years. I'm at a point that it would probably take me a decade, honestly, to get through everyone who I could have on the podcast at this point. But the show is still largely a one-person operation. I have some folks who are volunteering behind the scenes to help me with certain pieces of it. But when it comes to the actual production of the show, posting and all of that, it's me. I'm thankful for some of my guest hosts like David Bilbrey or Karen Olson, who allow me to share some of their material because I'm really interested in getting different voices out there. And that's kind of the space that I'm in now is that as much as I love creating the Permaculture Podcast, there is just so much available. And so what can I do to continue to curate conversations that are meaningful in the moment and what it is that we're working on or responding to? As climate change continues to create ongoing weather weirdness, how can we have a grounded conversation about that that can speak to the political issues without necessarily being political? Yes, I have a political perspective, and I'd like to speak more from that space, but I understand, as I shared earlier about like the faith tradition that I was raised in, I didn't realize until I was about this many years old how radical my upbringing really was. And so that plays a different way of understanding these kinds of things. As I dive into all of that and my interest in people care as an expression of earth care, what are the conversations that we can have that continue to deepen that? I'm thankful for people such as yourself who are available to really get the practical information out there. But a large part of where I'm coming from in these moments 
right now is about helping people know that there are a lot of us working on this, that sharing all of these voices that are not only within the permaculture community, but as permaculture adjacent, that if there's something that you want to work on as a permaculture practitioner, there is somebody doing it. Let's find those people and connect you with them, whether that's restoring soil or doing community food pantries or organizing or wanting to grow food in your backyard as a gardener, that all of these pieces are very, very important if we are going to create the beautiful world that permaculture makes possible. And Jill, Oliver approached the two of us about joining him in this venture. Why did you decide to become a part of the RMA and continue working on this for over a year? Why are you here and with us? When Oliver first approached me, I felt like it was such a great idea to come together. We have very similar interests. We have a common mission. And I felt like it would be great because as we've spoke about in this podcast is that radio and podcasting can be quite lonely. I mean, you're connecting with your guests, but you're putting this work out into the world. And it's like, is anyone listening? Right. And so it's been so helpful for me to speak with both of you about our podcast guests, podcast episodes, equipment, tech. It's been really helpful. And so I envision the RMA is just this larger organization that can really uplift other podcasters and media content producers. And that it's been so helpful for me personally that I can see how it would really help a lot of other people. And I think that by being a member of the RMA, that hopefully we can all come together and then really start having a larger impact. And Oliver, though we just heard from Jill as a member of the RMA, you were the person who connected us to create this idea of the Regenerative Media Alliance. And so I was wondering, what was your impetus for getting us going? Yeah, it's been a while since we've been having conversations about this, and it's taken on a lot more life and and a lot more specificity than I had envisioned at the beginning. Honestly, I just admired both of you as media producers. I've listened to your show for years. You were a large inspiration for starting my own, and I've gotten better partly through producing these shows of just reaching out and asking people for things. And I've been amazed at the positive response that I've gotten for it. So when I got the idea of reaching out to you individually and a few of the other podcasts that that I admired, I thought, well, why shouldn't we be working together? Much like Jill already said, this can be a lonely endeavor. (laughs) We're usually, especially at least in the intros and the outros, speaking into a microphone to nobody. (laughs) And, you know, best case scenario, we've got a good back and forth with the person that we're interviewing, or if we have sort of like a panel discussion, there's a little bit more back and forth, but A lot of the times we're just sitting in front of our laptops and we don't get to interact that much with other people in this space or the audience all that much. And that's what I was craving. I mean, that's a big motivation of why I put these out in the first place is to make these sort of connections and to instigate conversations rather than have these be as sort of a one-way teaching platform, which was never kind of how I envisioned it. And so with the opportunity of getting in touch with both of you and learning from your experience, which is far beyond my own, not only for the time that you've put in, but for your knowledge of technology, your backgrounds in radio for both of you, I knew that I could learn a whole lot and hopefully even contribute something from my perspective. And that certainly seemed to be the case as we've had conversations about this and new ideas have popped up and certainly potential has emerged that I could not have seen on my own, which was really what I was hoping for. And, you know, we're not super sure where this is going to go. We've got some great visions. We've got some ideas about what it could be, but all the more reason to open this up and include more people and try and strengthen this movement so that people don't feel isolated. It really is collaboration and community that brings power to these concepts. And the more that we can come together and reinforce or empower one another with our own ideas, I think this is only going to be for the best. And for you, as someone who has been central to the conversations that have gotten us to this point where we're actually talking about it, what are some of the ideas that have come about through this concept of collaboration? And where do you see the potential in bringing this forward in the year to come? Well, as I've mentioned through this conversation, for the first 11 years of the podcast, 99% of the podcast has been on my own. And around the time that you 
reached out about the RMA was at the time where I realized how I couldn't keep doing this on my own. I needed to collaborate with others and that for all the mentoring that I have done with other individuals over the years, that I hadn't necessarily asked for that myself or to have developed the relationships with my colleagues in the community. And so when, when you asked me about the RMA, it felt like a great opportunity to be both the teacher student and the student teacher, to borrow from the pedagogy of the oppressed, and to be able to participate in a community where, like you and Jill, though we had only spoken a couple of times off air, were folks who I really admired, as well as some of the other people who you had mentioned you had reached out to as part of this process. And so the Regenerative Media Alliance felt like a place for me to meet with some colleagues and to not be as on my own anymore. And through that, realizing how much each of us have worked on, that we have more than 25 years of experience between the three of us, and that we have a lot to offer people who are in this media space. And that I hope that if somebody's listening to this who wants to start a podcast or has started a podcast, that they will take advantage of the calls and programs and other things that we're working on for people in this space. You know, whether it necessarily means that they want to talk about permaculture and the regenerative sphere or something else entirely, it's important to have these voices in the world. So grab yourself a microphone, download Audacity and get started. It's never been less expensive or easier to become a podcaster. It may never grow into something that is in the top, you know, one-tenth of one percent worldwide for podcasts, but even if you have a couple of listeners, you can change somebody's life today by putting your voice out there now. Very well said. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And then where can people find you and Sustainable World Radio? They can find me outside in the garden or on the computer. That's all I do. I'm either trying to spend more time outside, but unfortunately my job, I'm a PR director for an environmental education and arts nonprofit, and then doing the podcast. I also do the plant report podcast. And as you guys know, it just takes so much time on the computer, which is really interesting when my show is focused on nature and plants and permaculture. And then there I am in front of another screen. It's like, seriously, but you can find the podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts and it's sustainableworldradio.com is my website. And then do you have any socials where people can find you? Twitter, Instagram, any of that? I do. And I'm Instagram, Jill, I think underscore Cloutier and Sustainable World Radio. And then Facebook, I'm not on as much. So don't go there. And Oliver, for people who would like to find you and your current venture, where is your podcast and your socials? Yeah, for sure. You can get in touch with me and find the resources that I'm putting out through a number of channels. The podcast and the website can be found at regenerativeskills.com, as well as any podcast streaming service. I'm beginning to share the design and development process of my new property on Instagram on at regenerative underscore skills. And through both of those places, you can find the links to join our community of over 170 active regeneration enthusiasts who are sharing their projects and their stories on our Discord channel. And you can also find the extensive learning resources that I put out as well as the project coaching services on the Patreon page, just searching regenerative skills. And Scott, finally, where can we find all of your excellent resources and your website as well? For those of you who this is the first time for you to hear my voice or about the Permaculture Podcast, the show is at thepermaculturepodcast.com. You can, of course, find it on iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else that you listen to podcasts. I have a Patreon as well, where I provide weekly updates about what's going on behind the scenes and the upcoming schedule. I have monthly AMAs there, discounts to classes, early access to classes and things like that. You can find that at patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast. I've drawn back from a lot of social media. I'm mostly active on Twitter these days at permaculturepod. You can also find me on Instagram at Permaculture Podcast. I don't post there as often as I used to, but I do share some things there from time to time. I also have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the Permaculture Podcast. I host twice monthly live streams there. And that's where I kind of try to put everything else that doesn't fit into the format of the show, as well as some past episodes. 
as we've mentioned, I've been doing this for a long, long time. And with that, there are a lot of episodes in the archives of the show at the permaculturepodcast.com. So if there's anything that you're looking for, let me know, get in touch. I can send you links if I've had those conversations or let you know more. And as I always throw out, feel free to contact me directly, show at the permaculturepodcast.com, or you can give me a call or send a text to 717-827-6266. And that's where we'll wrap things up for today. You can find all of our shows as well as the links we mentioned in the show notes for this episode on our individual profiles at the Regenerative Media Alliance website at regenerativemediaalliance.com. In the future, we'll be creating more episodes where two or all three of us sit down to talk about what's happening in our respective corners of the world or as a roundtable to discuss listener questions. I already recorded a really fun session with Scott that will be coming out soon, so stay tuned for that. We'll also be featuring some of the outstanding episodes from each other's shows every so often and even doing a few guest-hosted episodes on each other's podcasts from time to time. Now, if you're a producer in the regenerative media space, such as a podcaster, streamer, or YouTuber, we'd love to hear from you so you can join us for our quarterly creators call. In these free group sessions via Zoom, we'll discuss the problems that we face as creators, share solutions that worked for us, and open the floor for anyone to include their thoughts and suggestions as well. If you or someone that you know would be interested in attending these sessions, Find out more about those calls and sign up for the email list to receive the Zoom link at regenerativemediaalliance.com forward slash creators. Now to elevate the professional practice of permaculture, regenerative farming, and sustainable development, we're also hosting the RMA Professional Development Conference online in October. Keep an eye out for more information on that on just how to get involved when we open up requests for presentations in July and registrations that'll open in August. And later, to close out the year and to shine a light on the people and the projects that made a difference in 2022, in December, we'll award the RMA Prize. More information on that when nominations open up in September. Now, along the way, if you have any questions for me about the Regenerative Media Alliance, these calls, the conference, the prize, or anything else, feel free to get in touch with me directly at info at regenerativeskills.com. And that's it for our show this week. Remember to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future. And the Regenerative Media Alliance and I will be right by your side along the way. Mm -hmm.